Assalamualaikum everyone. Uh, welcome back to another episode of MPL. Uh, this one is going to be a little bit more interesting because we're going to be talking about our favorite moments of Islamic history after the time of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And so we wanted to kind of use this as an opportunity to talk about some of the moments where we thought that Muslims had a pretty uh, impactful like, impact, uh, but things that have sort of gone overlooked because it's not really taught in our classrooms or it's not really that mainstream. And so we all took the opportunity to research and kind of like understand like what, what is one moment up until now that we really like that Muslims have been a part of. And we're just going to be sharing our thoughts and then maybe like a short reflection after and kind of seeing why we really like these events or some of the key takeaways that we can take from it. Um, does anyone want to start or I can start too. I don't really mind, but then do any of you, do any of you guys want to start? Okay, Loki, do we want to go in order of events? Like how, how early on they were? No. I kind of like that. I don't even know. I feel, what like, I feel like mine is going to be the earliest <laughs> one, and that's when like, I could just start. Yeah, okay, I think so. I like that. So, this particular moment, I wouldn't say it's like my favorite moment, but I think it's like one of those things that doesn't get highlighted as often. And so, and it was like the first thing that came to mind when I started thinking about this topic. So, I'm just going to talk about it. So, basically, <clears throat> Um, during the time of the Prophet وسلم, like the Quran was never actually written, right? Like there was no, there was no like unified like book that everybody had and everyone would read, right? Mm -hmm. And so up until um, the Caliphate, I hope I'm saying that right, of Uthman, عنه, like no one, like people, like different tribes would just like write their own copies of the Quran, but there was no unified copy, right? And so like it got to the point where like in a lot of the battles, a lot of the Hafiz, like they just died. And so like they were like a lot of the people who would like teach people Quran were like dying. And so they were like, yo, like low key, like if we don't do something about this, the Quran is just going to be gone. And like adding on to that as well, like I just learned this today doing research on this topic. But like because um, by the time like Uthman was the, the, the caliph, he was like Islam had like spread past like Mecca and Medina and like different different tribes had like different Arabic dialects and so they would argue about how certain words should be written and how certain words should be said to the point that they would call each other disbelievers and so Uthman was like yo we kind of need to do something about this because like people were literally fighting about this and so like he just ended up he just ended up like gathering a bunch of people um, that he knew and trusted and like they wrote a copy of the Quran. Um, I know Faizan, you said not to talk about like the reflection or anything. So I'll probably hold off. But like similarly to it, like this whole theme of like the, the preservation of like Islamic knowledge. Um, I also wanted to talk a little about a little bit about like um, the compilation of hadiths by like Bukhari and Muslim. But I'll add to that again later in the reflection. But yeah, that's my story. I just want to point out to anybody listening and is really interested in this topic i think uh this actually is such a good topic thank you Randa, for bringing it up because like so many muslims like kind of overlook this like the whole compilation of the quran and like so many people are kind of like ignorant to how it, it how it is or they or they don't actually understand what the quran really is to muslims so there is a very good uh lecture by sapiens institute um muhammad hijab does it and it's high level so you might have to like watch it two three times to grasp everything and he tells you that in, in the lecture he's like bring out your notebook you're gonna have to like you know this is gonna be hard content but once you understand it it's easy 
So, and he kind of breaks down um, what the Quran is, compilation, and the ahruf, and the uh, the seven qiraat and all that stuff. So, like, he kind of breaks down the whole like canonization or what the Quran as a text is to us. But it's really, really awesome point that you brought up. You know what's funny? I was gonna do that one, but then I just changed my mind. So, if if we both huh. have the same one, it would be problematic. <laughs> Anyways, Mishag, you're next. Okay. So, in general, I find the whole Islamic, like the golden age of Islamic history in Spain and how, you know, Islam spread to Spain and then also how it kind of left Spain to be really interesting. And I think it tells us a lot about the state of like, I won't say Islam, but like Islamic governments right now. So just to give a little bit of context, like when Granada, the city of Granada and the empire of Granada was the last standing um, Muslim city in Spain and when it fell what was what happened was that every sur- the surrounding cities were Christian and like it was the Christian empire and there were ordinary men and women and children fighting for in order to preserve like this last like city while the ruling class were making deals with the Christian empire behind their backs um, to get like wealth, to get money, to get safety, like, you know, because they could see that they were going to lose. Um, and I just find that, I know it's a little bit sad because it's not really the rise of uh, um, the empire, it's actually the fall of the empire, but I find that super intriguing because I think often we overlook the things that led us to kind of like, led us to how we operate right now and why we're not uh why like certain governments like for example Saudi Arabia function the way they do right now it like if you look at it it, there's history behind it and why all of this is happening the way it is so that was the first time actually in recorded history that the rulers of the Islamic empire took their own benefit over the benefit of the people whereas before that that was like the number one thing that differentiated Muslim like rulers from other rulers that they always put the benefit of the people above others so I just find that whole um, area of history like really intriguing but also to like add on to that is in that time period there were so many discoveries made in science and math and like engineering that were overlooked because of how the empire fell because of all the way the empire fell these records weren't preserved So later on, when these discoveries were like kind of polished up, the credit for these discoveries went to other people. Like a lot of um, philosophers, a lot of engineers and scientists never got that credit because the real, like the good record keeping was destroyed. Um, And just like one example I wanted to share about this is, give me one second, I actually have it written down that I wanted to share. In the meantime, when you're pulling it up, I remember because um, I went to an Islamic school mm-hmm. and we did an Islamic history course and they talked about like the whole like Andalusian era and everything. And one quote that I thought was such a boss quote was when the last uh, ruler of Spain, uh, when his when he got invaded by the Christians and they were being taken over and he was like feeling really sad. And I pulled this up and I quote, his mother said, do not cry as a woman for what you could not defend as a man. And I was like, geez, that's <laughs> hardcore, man. Like, whew. Yo, don't kill me. So oh, it's in, facts, dude. So it's actually, there's records that in 1551, 
um, a Turkish engineer by the name of Taki Aldin um, invented the steam engine. But the thing is, at that time, the steam engine was only used in the Muslim world. Um, it was only used to like uh, for sheep and like uh, to transport sheep and stuff. So there was no use in the Muslim world at that time beyond that. And the records weren't properly kept. So when the steam engine actually came to be in like our world, like so many years later, the thing is that credit never goes back to that time, even though we still have records showing that the steam engine was first like developed in the 1551. So there are things like that. And also the one thing that I really like found in 1553, the stock market was invented, like how we know it today. And the way it was invented is, I find it really interesting and I want to share it because it's again showing that like British, um, like you know, search for India type of thing and how it went wrong and gave them everything but India. Mm. So in 1553, there was a, uh, tw- they put up 25 pounds to finance a search to India, but instead they ended up in Moscow, <laughs> completely different <laughs> direction. Mm. But they ended up in Moscow and then over there, but they bought, brought home like some profit from that uh, like excursion and they called this the Russia company. So then after that, what happened was like you would pay subscription fees um, and then any further excursions like you like you would pay a subscription fee for someone to go out and do an excursion. And then when they would come back and bring profit, you would get a part of it. And that's like the basis of the stock market. And it was invented by these Muslim, like Muslim, like excursions. And it was funded by Muslim money and this whole idea, all of it. But like, this is history that we don't know about because again, it's not well-kept records or Mm. there aren't uh, shared properly. That's super cool, yo. Is it my turn? Yeah, bro. Do not, do not cry like a woman for you you couldn't defend like a man. Listen, Listen, don't let these curls confuse you. I'm not, I don't cry. No, I'm kidding. Yo, you started reading Harry Potter? I'm, uh, Yo, I'm trying to wonder. Is, don't expose me. Don't expose that me. That is an amazing accomplishment. So, uh, Kadan, you th- need to get on that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, so this is by no means my favorite um, uh, moment. I know this is the favorite moment, but I have too many. So, I don't care. I'm, this is just one of them. Um, it's And the reason I picked this one is because recently I've been in my feels about this one. Because... Um, in the last like two or three years, I've been now twice to Istanbul and every time I go, you know, the love kind of gets stronger. And this time I actually got to pray in Hagia Sophia when, after it got converted back to a mosque. Right. So like, that was a very surreal like experience and like, you know, you get like in your feels, that's when I did actually cry by the way. So what's up? Um, so yeah, it was like really, really, it's been on my mind a lot since then. And on top of that, with the whole controversy behind like Hagia um, Sophia being converted back to uh, a mosque as it rightfully should. So basically what I'm talking about, the specific moment I'm talking about is like back in the day uh, in around uh, 1453, I think if I have my year right, um, that was the year they actually conquered, but they actually started the con- or the, the planning of it was in 1451. And Sultan Muhammad al-Fatih II, well, he was given al-Fatih, the conqueror, like the opener um, as a as a name, as a, a term or whatever, like as a, in Arabic, we say a laqab, I don't know in English. Uh, is that like, a, you know how we say mister or like doctor? It's like honorary term kind of thing. So yeah, he was named the conqueror, but um, 
he basically at the age of 19 started planning the uh, what's it called the takeover of Constantinople and by age 21 as in our age like literally when he was our age he conquered Constantinople like the city that was never to be conquered right and um yeah, it was crazy because the way he went about it was so strategic. He uh, there's the it's surrounded by kind of the Bosphorus Strait, and that goes through like you know t- uh, the the heart of Istanbul. And basically, what he did was um, there was there he uh, his his grandfather kind of he built a castle. It's called Anatolia Castle, and on the opposite side of um, the Bosphorus Strait, it was a very uh, this was by the way a very narrow end of it. Um, he built another fortress. And in that way, he kind of blocked off all supplies um, to the city. So no ship or any kind of support um, could come from Europe to Constantinople. So he so he was very strategic. He started off with the resources, right? So once he cut off the resources, then they marched onto Constantinople and started a two-month siege, which basically starved the army of resources. And obviously, like so many battles were fought, um, like obviously the, they had the like the very famous uh, uh, Ottoman cannons, which like broke through the fortress eventually. And anyways, um, yeah, at the age of 21, in 1453, he walked in victorious. And yeah, he can, he, uh, what, there, okay, so here's the part where there's debate on it, all right? There's debate whether he bought uh, Hagia Sophia and made it his own property, or he simply just took it as part of the city. So let me be clear, it's irrelevant. Let me tell you why it's irrelevant. Because back then, age of empires, when you conquer a city, you own everything and everyone in it. So which is why, you know, empires would conquer somewhere and they would kill everybody there and just repopulate with their own people. Or they would take over all the land and all that. And then they would take the people as slaves. That's the age of empires. And that's not even what Muhammad al-Fatih did. He simply took a building that belonged to it personally belonged to um, what's it called the 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 the, uh, the ruler of Constantinople, um, Constantinus, I think his name was. Anyways, so he wasn't even a Christian, by the way. He converted because he figured out it was very. Uh, there's there's talks about him converting because uh, it was easier to control the population under Christianity than it was under paganism. But um, anyways, that's a, that's a side tangent. But um, so he took that property and he actually renovated it. And he actually put money into it, made it an Islamic endowment, per, a personal Islamic endowment, and then for, gave it away to charity. And, and it's called a waqf, by the way. So a waqf, and in the waqf, it's, it's never to be changed. It's to stay at a, a place of worship till the end of times. Like it's not supposed to be touched or anything. And there's a legal binding agreement about this. So, you know, many years later, some uh, wild and dude, some very, very far far uh, radical secularist uh, dude, very anti-religion, anti-Islam um, leader by the name of Mustafa Kemal Ataturk comes around, I think it's 86 years ago, and he uh, turns it into uh, a museum as part of the effort of getting rid of Islam and getting rid of conservative Islamic values and you know religiosity in Turkey. So he made it into a museum and since then, you know, it's not been prayed in. And finally, uh, the amazing Russia Tayyip Erdogan, finally, uh, what's it called? Under his rule, it was passed through the highest court in Turkey that this was an unlawful takeover of property because this person has died 
and his will still stands and the endowment still stands and you cannot take this place as a place of worship and make it into a museum and they returned it back to its rightful uh what's it called uh situation now there has been backlash by what's it called uh what's it called people who want inclusivity and all this and, and a lot of christians too um let's hold up and let's remember a couple of things all right christians are the ones who are to this day not allowing it's illegal to pray in the uh, cathedral in cordoba and that cathedral in cordoba is the grand mosque of cordoba so you guys still to this day dis like it's not allowed by law okay so let's remember also in bulgaria in bulgaria there's a famous church i think it's it's i'm not even going to try to pronounce it but it ends with sofia church that church is built on a mosque as well another one croatia we got three three churches in croatia built on top of mosques okay so let's let's be careful where we're throwing our stones when especially when we are living in a glass house that's all i'm gonna say so finally i'm gonna remind the people who are complaining that this benefits everybody why do i say this it's because now because it's a mosque you used to need to uh pay to get into Hagia Sophia before so you, there was an entrance fee since it's a museum now it's a place of worship christians buddhists hindus atheists anybody could go in for free and you could do the same exact things you used to do when it was a museum the only difference is now five times a day muslims get to pray in it so if you really care about inclusivity then now more people could afford to go to Hagia Sophia from all different backgrounds so let's see you talk the talk and walk the walk you know what i mean so let's stay consistent here let's not be hypocritical because it's an islamic uh, issue but anyways that's all i got to say in the thank you for joining us on this episode huh? <laughs> in the fa i will yeah thanks well thank you for really joining nice. us for this episode um i don't think anyone can one up this guy <laughs> wait what do you mean one up bro no, okay i just want really to nice. I just want to add to um what Ismail was talking about about the time of the empires. Um just a cool piece of trivia that I think is nice to know is that at that time, you know, at um, when someone conquered an empire, you would just like Ismail said you would kill everyone in that empire and then repopulate with your own people. But the one thing with Islam is oh, like people were only only men were killed and that is if they refused to like uh give over allegiance or power to this new empire that had come in women and kids weren't killed and men who like again men were first given the option to it wasn't a conversion like they didn't have to convert it was more so they had to just pledge allegiance to this new empire that had come in so i think that's another way that like you know islamic empire was differentiated at the time not only that he gave sultan muhammad uh, what's it called muhammad the second he gave the uh he gave the orthodox community minority government in exactly. uh, in new istanbul so not only did he uh what's it called restore their like pristine landmark he also gave them a voice and he gave them uh what's it called uh, a uh, ability to worship in peace and all that the only people that are killed under war circumstances in islam are combatants and that's it but anyways um let's move on guys all right yasmin it's your turn Um okay so mine is also like connected to Turkey um but the it's it's two it's two moments so I started watching Ertugrul and I got real obsessed and I wow. was like oh damn I saw that coming <laughs> Yeah and then um 
it's just really nice to see because like I you would think that the role of the woman like there's lots of like you'd think like there's patriarchy everywhere but the woman during that time they had the they had significant power they had control um they were able to fight in wars they were they were able to take a stand and it's so sad that now especially in a modern time we're not able to do that but we'll get to, to that you later. guys are you know making decisions and leading the war in the kitchen <laughs> it's okay. It's been a lot to get slapped. You want any more arguments? Can we just like insert like an emblem right now? Like all men are trash. Yo, we, don't worry. I'm sure Yasmin got us, bro. Okay, back to topic. <laughs> Anyways, um, and then in grade nine, I went to Turkey twice, and hey, um. Yeah, and I got to see like lots and lots of calligraphy. And I'm like, where did all this calligraphy come from? Where did it originate from? And during grade 10, our English, um, I was in gifted English. So we had very different. Subtle flex. Yeah, yeah we had different, <laughs> we had different, um, we had different things. Like it, we didn't follow like the normal like English outline. Um, so our, our final project um, was to do something new and learn all about it so i chose calligraphy and i learned that um there was like a lot of so it actually originated from the mongols i think that's how you say it the mm. mongol empire and there was lots of like um there was lots of like tension in between the ottoman empire and the mongols and and i think it was because of land and like trade um, however, I'm not too sure, and I didn't, I don't, I don't, that's not my interest, so I never researched about that, but, um, be, but because of that, there was a lot of, um, exchanges, because some people decided to convert to Islam, or some people decided to stay in what is now known as Turkey, and they passed it on to them. The Mongols <laughs> at that time, they were very well known to be tolerant of all religions, especially, uh, I think, a lot of people pronounce it as Genghis, Khan, but it's pronounced Genghis Khan, and um, he uh, he was very very tolerant of Islam. But uh, they were towards the well, Ottoman I've Empire. Heard otherwise, but we'll let that be disputed. <laughs> no, but towards the Ottoman Empire, they weren't like because of the like because of all the tension, and everything. They weren't very nice. One hundred percent, they weren't nice. So he was nice uh, to like Muslims within like the Mughal. Um, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, I was just yeah. Like I heard otherwise. But... Yeah, the people that <laughs> okay, would come okay. to him. They, yeah, there were like there were like Christians that would come for. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, I swear he he like killed us off and then converted. I yeah. Just... <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, he, he, he wasn't nice, especially to the Ottoman Empire. He would, um, they practiced a religion where they would drink human blood. And what they would do is they would kill off all like the, the soldiers or whoever were a part of the Ottomans, and they would drink their blood because they felt like that would give them strength to defeat them. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's a weird um, diet, bro. Yeah. So, but he was, he was known to be like that. He was known to um, be very tolerant of religion and the people that came to him, the people that he oversaw or whatever. And um, uh, as time went, as time passed by, um, his, his offspring, like his grandchildren, they converted to Islam. And then soon enough, um, uh, like the Mong the Mongolian people, they all converted to Islam, and it's it it spread everywhere. It spread to Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, and now 
um, a lot of the ancestors um, of the Afghan and uh, the Pashtun side of Pakistan, it's the Mongols. Like, that's where I get my last name from, Khan. Um, but yeah, anyways, uh, I don't take pride in uh, Genghis That's Khan. where half of South Asia gets their last name from. <laughs> yeah, from literally. <laughs> literally. Um, but yeah, that's, that's literally that. And then with the calligraphy aspect, because of the spread and because of them going all around to India, Afghanistan, and um, Turkey, those areas are very prominent with um, calligraphy because it all came from Chinese calligraphy and the Mongolian calligraphy. But yeah, it, I found that I found that super interesting, and it's a nice way that that's it's a nice way that um, Islamic art developed like that, and we're all somehow interconnected. But yeah. If anyone that. in the audience speaks Urdu and they wanna learn more about calligraphy and Turkey, watch Aleph. It's amazing. Oh. And yes. even if you don't speak Urdu, yes. watch the mm-hmm. subtitles. Allah, yeah. Allah, boy, Allah. I already know it. Come on. I already know Urdu. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great show. <laughs> thank you for the thank you for the Turkey history lesson, Ismail and Yasmin. Um, what I was going to focus on, uh, again, also inspired by a TV show, uh, again, for any Urdu listeners out there, it's called Dastan. I've been watching it. And it's basically a show that blends uh, like history, love, and politics together. And the politics associated with the show have to do with the partition that takes uh, between like India and Pakistan. And then I guess like another part of Pakistan, which then became like Bangladesh. And so the reason I wanted to bring that up was because um, like me, I'm, in, I'm from India. My, par- my parents are from India. And so um, typically like, so even population wise, India has the third most, no, like third most amount of Muslims after I think like, Malaysia. I don't know if Malaysia is the first, but sorry, Indonesia. There you go. Indonesia, then Pakistan, and then it's India. And then even by population wise, like India is not that far off from Pakistan. I think the difference is only like a couple million. And so I was searching up about this and it's really interesting to see like the partition, like it literally happened because of like a difference in theological belief. And the reason I brought up the show was because the show takes place in such a time where there are differences within like the different parties and how they perceive like the Hindu and the Muslim sort of communities to be uh, working together and whether they're going to actually survive together or not, or whether it's going to just end up being in like, like another revolt. And when I was searching about this, obviously we have the the British coming in and screwing everything up like they did uh, throughout all of history and colonialism. So thank you very much. Um, and you guys, you took over all this food. Yeah, yeah all you, you took over all these kids. lands. No, no, hold up, hold up. You took over all these lands. Yeah, all the seasoning you have is salt and pepper. What the hell? What the <laughs> hell? No, facts. They have nothing to show for. I don't know how many years of colonization. Bro, you went looking for spices. You ended up ruining everything, trauma. bro. That's it. Bro, you know, the, it, like uh, the UK or the British people are like that, you know, that friend that acts all tough and is like, yo, take me to the Indian restaurant that's, you know, that has hot food. And then once he gets there, ends up leaving with the water. That's it. <laughs> bro, that's anyways, the UK, bro. Anyways, back to my back to my story. And so the reason I found this super interesting was um, I guess we're getting into the reflection part now. So I guess I'll start because I went last. And the reason I found this interesting was because even throughout the show, what like the the protagonist he sort of falls in love with this girl obviously because it's Bollywood, and then the and then the girl's Bollywood. It is not Bollywood. <laughs> Don't do Whatever. that. Anyways, listen, it's my turn to talk. <laughs> A, basically, this the protagonist falls in love with this girl, and then the girl's older brother 
he happens to have a different political belief in the beginning, whereas he actually supports the 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 unification between India and Pakistan. He doesn't want them to actually split. Whereas the protagonist, he sees that like actually the Muslims will be discriminated against, and he sees it happening around them because you have all these cases where like the the Hindu people are going and like destroying villages, destroying families, like killing people, raping people, just like left, right, and center, and so. The protagonist thinks that no like we actually need like the formation of pakistan fun fact by the way pakistan means like the land of the peers so, like pak means pure stan is like the land of and so like india is usually called hindustan which is like the land of the hindus fun fact uh and so basically that's why pakistan's in the bad bro <laughs> i will sacrifice my own life for pakistan anyways um and so like the 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 reason i thought this was super interesting was because though they were family members like the protagonist and the older brother though they were best friends from childhood it was this one political sort of belief that was different in each of them that caused all of these problems caught all of these rifts within the family and so I feel like nowadays we live in this sort of culture where it's like literally a cancel culture where in anything that you disagree with, you automatically, you're like, no, they're wrong. I don't care. Like, I don't want to have to do anything with them. And we sort of have forgotten how to agree to disagree, right? Like there's going to be people who have different political beliefs as you. There's going to be people who have different theological beliefs as you. There's going to be people who are going to be, are not going to pretend to be self-righteous and like pseudo altruistic. And they're going to be selfish, like, I believe people should be like, to some degree, they should be selfish and they're just going to conflict with your core values. But instead of canceling them, you need to learn how to be more open-minded and actually take that and reflect on that and be open to changing your perspective because you're not always going to be right. And that's just the fact. Right. And so that was something that was like really, really cool. And it's really unfortunate to see what's happening with like Muslim people all around the world. And people really don't know about it because again, they don't go out and seek those different perspectives. Like I could go on and on, but like simple examples, like what's happening in China, what's happening in India, what's happening in Yemen and Syria and like Palestine, like there's countless number of examples out there, but that's my little. And the uh, British are blamed to all for all of it. Gordon Ramsay. Come on, man. What are you doing? <laughs> all right. Yo, Misha, you tell us what you, what's your reflection? Oh, my reflection was just going to be that there's a lot, we need to look into like a lot of the history beyond, behind, we think of Islamic history as often just the time of the Prophet. And we forget like the golden age of Islam is not the time of the Prophet. Like it's referred to as uh, the 11, I think it's 1100 to like 1400. Cough, cough, (laughs) What? Oh, we're going to go there, huh? Uh, yeah, we're going to go so, there. So while, um, like, you know, everyone needs to know the stories of the prophets. Like, they are important. But be- when we're talking about Islamic history, there is so much more that we need to learn in terms of, like, a why our world functions the way it does and how and how things come to be. And I think if we understand how things came to be, then we can influence um, how to change them in the future. So I just thought it was, like, you know, important to realize that there's a lot of history that we don't know. If anyone's interested in actually learning about a lot of the things that were talked about today, I think everything we talked about today is covered in this book. It's called Destiny Disrupted. And I read it in May. And it honestly, it's a really, really good read. It has a lot of information. And I will say, as a Muslim, sometimes it is a little bit uncomfortable to read because it also it doesn't just talk about our good points and like our high points as an Islamic empire. It also talks about where we went wrong, our downfalls. 
um, mistakes and things like that. So I think it's a really, really good look at history as it is. And it talks about how these things were happening at the same time as improvements were as the Western world was developing. So it, it's really good in terms of putting into context the fact that while industrialization was happening, this was also happening. While crusades were happening, this was also happening. So I think it's a really good look at world history if anyone wants to look it up and read it. That's cool. Yo, Yasmin, what's up? Talk to me. Uh, for me, it was like in like Urtugrul, um, you're, you see all these like women like doing all these cool stuff, you know, um, fighting men and yeah, you know, killing them the and kitchen. everything like that. No, um, women well, do a lot of cool stuff in the kitchen. <laughs> they actually do a lot of cool and delicious stuff in the kitchen. <laughs> and um, Yo, I'm joking. Can we please put a joking banner like somewhere? <laughs> I'm literally just going to clip no, this one part of TikTok. We're going to let you get canceled. Yeah, bro. You're, you're done. No, so, I am part of MPL. <laughs> We're gonna get, I, you guys will get canceled with me. We're, we're going to get views for this, so it's fine. Be problematic. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. All the publicity is good publicity. Um, but it's it's just, for me, when I look at that and I compare it to society right now, um, I think I think it's super, uh, I think it's super sad that, uh, like, we, even especially in culture and, like, in culture they're like oh yeah we look at religion too but they don't like we're not even given the voice in family gatherings we've talked about this in so many other podcasts we're not given a voice in family gatherings we're, we're often told to shush um like even in like big gatherings you see in Urtugrul um the woman they would stand up and they would express their opinion why can't I express my opinion why can't why can't I take a lead and make a change for the better but yeah that's all I have to say. To be honest, my, my reflection or my takeaway is be proud of your history. Look into your history. Don't be a pushover. Don't be like that guy that's like, oh, yeah, in, in the sake of secularism, everything should be, you know, uh, as, uh, as nullified from religion or as like stra- extrapolated from religion as possible. No, we, t- we have some things that are rightfully ours that we need to reclaim. We have history that we need to reclaim. We have things to be proud of. We have, you know, things to learn. So, yeah, just don't forget that. That's my takeaway. Brenda, your turn. <laughs> okay. My takeaway is, I'm going to keep it short. I actually had something written up to guide me, but it's fine. So the reason why I mentioned the whole story about, like, the compilation of the whole and stuff like that is there's an ayah in the Quran that says like we're the ones that revealed the scripture and we are the protectors of it and i think like that's that's like one of the like one of the examples of like like the Quran wasn't written for 20 years like it could have been forgotten right but it wasn't and it was preserved and like like people today, like yo, people be doing the most. Like they're like ripping Qurans, you know, banning hijabs and stuff like that. And I'm just like, yo, it's not that easy. <laughs> like, like you ripping a Quran doesn't doesn't really do anything. It doesn't mean anything, yeah. you know. Like Quran, people don't know what Quran is. Like it's it's Quran is not the book. Quran is the oral recitation. Yeah. Like it's it could you could burn every single Quran in the world. Quran is still preserved. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just like, that's, that's just, like, it's just, it's just really powerful, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'll just keep it at that. So you guys can go ahead. Oh, We're done, though. Yeah, <laughs> I think that wraps up this episode on like Islamic history, our, our 
what we found interesting as well as some of the reflections we have from it we hope you guys enjoyed it started with um with the quran and the preservation then it went to the golden age in spain to turkey as well as india so we took a round trip around the world um we learned that women in fact can do more than just belong in the kitchen as ismail said um i joke uh, not said joked as ismail stated careful of our vehemently. words and will never detract from his original statement. And so we hope you guys My DMs are open for any uh, chefs uh, slash wives. <laughs> I love how you made yeah, a plural there. I love how you joking. made plural. Anyways, anyways, anyways. This is going to wrap up this episode. Uh, this was a little bit more... Uh, it wasn't as serious in terms of like addressing taboo topics, but it was uh, fun for me nonetheless. And I, I know I learned something just within this recording. And hopefully... Anyone else who was listening also learned. So with that, we're going to end this episode and we'll see you in the next one. Peace. Mashallah. Smile. <laughs> I didn't get the memo. <laughs> <laughs>